0: You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. So the question too uh, that I wrestle with, I think most when considering communities like those that I, I just described is how Do we protect certain community members from others who may use their strength to overpower or take advantage of or to do harm to those vulnerable within the community? Welcome to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. My name is Herb Montgomery, and this is episode 332. And our title this week is More Effective Ways to Care. In Matthew's gospel, we read this beautiful passage describing the egalitarian human community that Jesus was seeking to create. This is Matthew 23 8 through 12. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all students. And, and call no one father on earth. You have one father, the one in heaven, nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, and all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Humility is a, a characteristic of Jesus's vision of, of human community and, and God's just future. That, that still resonates with me deeply. It's also a trait still mostly ignored in many sectors of organized Christianity. What does it mean to live a life devoid of any attempt to exalt oneself above others? And this passage is quite possibly the most anti-authoritarian passage in the gospel stories, second only to an earlier passage in Matthew 20, 25-26 that reads, But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them. It will not be so among you, but whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. What does it look like for us as Jesus' followers to create ways of organizing communities that display a way of human organizing where we don't seek to dominate, but to protect and to care for one another. What Jesus was doing for his early Jewish followers was commissioning them to display what a community ...could look like if it was full of humble, egalitarian relationships rather than hierarchical or authoritative ones. And according to the Hebrew creation narrative, hierarchical relationships are a fruit of the relational schisms that took place in the primordial garden. They don't reflect God's original vision for created order. In Genesis 1.26, although we're to steward the ecology of our world as our home, the authority that's mentioned there was not to be over others. The narrative that follows Genesis 126 hints at at humans' inability to exercise authority over one another without doing harm. And I think Jesus' early followers tried to get their heads around this and experimented with the, the practice of humility, though they, they were still working within the limits of their own time and space and, and cultural constructs. One example, Paul describes how the church that met in Corinth functioned. In 1 Corinthians 14, 16, we read, When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. The gatherings of of Christians in Corinth, they don't seem to be gatherings where most members sat passively silent under the authority of the same person teaching every week. And I wonder still how patriarchal these early gatherings were but regardless these were communities that embraced the anti-authoritarian elements that we encountered in Matthew's passage just a moment ago each one possessing a gift to share that would contribute to and build up the health of the community this is very different from how a lot of uh, church gatherings function today today uh, gatherings are characterized much more by by most attendees' passive spectatorship at a, a service or a program its much more than, than each person bringing something to share at a small, open, mutually participatory gathering. And to be sure, some are gifted teachers. Yet each member of the community sharing from their own varied experiences nonetheless, that has something to offer. Early followers of Jesus believed that together they collectively became the dwelling place for the divine. This is Ephesians 2.22. You, and that's a plural you, too, are built Together, being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And in 1 Peter 2, 5, you, plural again, uh, you, plural, also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. E- even those given the task of keeping the vulnerable safe within the community were not to use their role as a means of lording authority over the community. In 1 Peter 5 3, we read not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Communities that can function like this, they resonate with me deeply. In the Gospels, we see a vision of God's just future where human communities are organized so that a few do not practice hierarchical authority over the many or the others. It was a vision for the practice of a a preferential option for the care and protection of the vulnerable, and it was a vision where there was the inclusion of the marginalized, and yet it was a vision that could be practiced within egalitarian communities Collectively without lorded authority, there, there's a beautiful mutuality and a working together rather than a, a hierarchical su- submission. In this, and what does that mean for us today? Jesus's teachings, I believe, still invite us to experience community where, rather than exercising power over others, we together we learn how to listen to one another. Instead of lording power or position over each other, we learn what it means and what it looks like to care for each other. And I'm convinced that personally and systemically, our hope as a species is in discovering more effective ways of taking care of one another, not more efficient ways of dominating one another. Today, a few people... They've solved the human dilemma of survival, of their own survival, at the expense of others. And in so doing, they've lost a part of their humanity. They've lost touch with the reality that whether we, we, we like it... Or, or or not, we are part of one another. We're all connected. What impacts one directly or indirectly impacts us all. So the question, too, uh, that I wrestle with, I think most, when considering communities like those that I, I just described, is how do we protect certain community members from others who may use their strength to overpower or take advantage of Or to do harm to those vulnerable within the community. And perhaps you wonder this too. Humanity is not perfect. Humanity is messy. How do we handle that messiness in non-authoritarian ways that mitigate and still prevent harm. Uh, I'm reminded of the work of of Peter Kropotkin. Uh, He was a Russian activist, writer, revolutionary, and a a philosopher who lived in the late 19th and early 20th century. In his book, Mutual Aid, he wrote, while Darwin was chiefly using the term, and he's talking about survival of the fittest, in its narrow sense, for his own special purpose, he warned his followers against committing the error, which he seems once to have committed himself, of overrating its narrow meaning. In The Descent of Man, he gave some powerful passages to illustrate its proper wide sense. He pointed out how in numberless animal societies, the struggle between separate individuals for the means of existence disappears. How struggle is replaced by cooperation and how that substitution results in the development of intellectual and moral faculties which secure To the species, the best conditions for survival. He intimated that in such cases the fittest are not the physically strongest nor the cunningest, but those who learn to combine so as mutually to support each other strong and weak alike, for the welfare of the community. Those communities, he wrote, which included the greatest number of the most sympathetic members, would flourish best and rear the greatest number of offspring. Page 163. The, the term which originated from the now Malthusian conception of competition between each and all, thus lost its its narrowness in the mind of the one who knew Nature In Kropotkin's model, which he's basing on Darwin's uh, critique, the, the fittest communities, they're not those where the strong eat the weak, but those where those who have the ability to care, to take care of those who need their care, they do so. And uh, From the U.S. government's failed responses to COVID-19 to our country's continual refusal to listen to those most deeply harmed by our systemic racism injustice and militarized policing, the past few months of life here in the U.S. have revealed how desperately we are in need of of a raised consciousness. We need to recognize the truth that healthy communities are not competitive communities of winners and losers where the disparities between the haves and the have-nots continue to expand. Instead, they are communities of care and cooperation where we've learned how to ensure that, that those that are presently made least, they become centered and cared for and prioritized. As as the as Matthew's gospel reminds us, this is Matthew 25, 40-45, through 45, the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these— you did not do it for me. I long for the day when we don't treat others with dignity and care and respect because we see Jesus in them necessarily, although that that would be a good start. We do it simply because we see them as fellow humans, fellow travelers, fellow inhabitants in this short period of life that we've been given. Peter Moran he wrote in The Catholic Worker, August 1936, I want a change, and a radical change. I want to change from an acquisitive society to a functional society, from a society of go-getters to a society of go-givers. And I, today, I want to believe that that kind of world is still possible. At very minimum, I want to believe it's worth working toward. And to all those who are already working toward a world that looks like this, May future generations look back at you and be grateful. May our work today, building off the work of those that have come before us, uh, not be in vain. May it be built on also by those who come after us. May a just future, in the words of Matthew's gospel, come on earth as it is in heaven. Heart group application this week. Share something that spoke to you from this week's East Sider podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, what might be non-authoritarian methods of protecting vulnerable members of, uh, of more egalitarian communities? How might we together protect certain participants in the community without resorting to hierarchical relationships of power? Is is this even possible? And discuss it with your group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small? To continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone. Discuss that with your group and then pick something from the discussion to put into practice this upcoming week. Thanks for checking in with us today. Wherever you are, right where you are, keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working towards justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week.